This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for listening in today. I am Beverly Isla, your host. Today's guest is acclaimed United Nations photographer, Olivia Pritchard, and I want to give a special shout out to her work. She has an exciting upcoming book release for a piece called Mutz. Mutz is a fine art coffee table book that aims to show people who haven't considered adopting a rescue pet or mystery mixed breed that they are just as lovable as pedigree pups. When we get back from these messages, we will hear from Olivia Pritchard and her experience working as a United Nations photographer, working in combat zones, as well as her insights on adopting the right type of shelter dog based on someone's lifestyle. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with acclaimed United Nations photographer, Olivia Pritchard. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm very curious to know about your experience as a United Nations photographer. But before we delve into that part of your life journey, let's touch on your experience of having, well, mutts growing up. Is that where your love of dogs originated from? Yes. I mean, my parents had adopted a mutt before I was even born. So I've never not lived in a home with a dog, I don't think. Maybe a little space in between dogs, but we've always had a dog and it's always been a rescue dog. So Spike was my my first dog from infancy. Uh, he was a Border Collie mix and he was just really sweet and patient. And there's video of me like holding on to his fur and pulling up and taking steps with him walking with me like just such a great dog and I'm sure that that is what made me so comfortable around them later in life yeah, that's awesome that your parents exposed you to that as soon as you were born basically mm-hmm. <laughs> what's the special incidents that happened when you grew up with these mutts can you give us a couple examples Well, from there, so we had Spike until I was, he lived a really long time. I was probably in maybe like fourth grade uh, when he passed away. And then we were looking for the right dog. We adopted a Husky mix for a while, just from our local humane society shelter. But he would escape constantly because he was a husky, you know, he wanted to run. And I mean, we had a big backyard. We lived in Mississippi, but in the city, not like on a farm or anything. And so- we didn't realize what was happening because people would, our neighbors or our friends would tell us they saw 
him running around the neighborhood, but he, I would be the first one home every day from school. The bus would drop me off about 30 minutes before anybody else got home. And he was always in the backyard waiting for me at the gate. So I just was like, they must be seeing another dog. Well, one day he was late to meet my bus. And so I walked into the backyard. I called for him. I looked around and I saw him tearing across the neighbor's yard. I saw him climb the chain link fence like a, a monkey and run across the yard and sit in front of me like, oh, I've been here the whole time. (laughs) So that's how we knew that he was escaping. He was just making it back into the yard in time for us to get home. Wow. Yeah. What a smart one. (laughs) Yeah. He was really, really smart. And then I think the final straw where we gave him to a friend who lived out on like 40 acres and he just ran out there all the time. We would go visit him, but the final straw was somebody called my mom he had gotten out again. It was like on a Wednesday or something in the summer. We were out looking for him. And finally, somebody called from Olo, Mississippi, which was like hour, hour and a half away from where we lived. He had jumped into the back of somebody's pickup truck what? and they didn't know. He had just been like hanging out back there and they just took off down the highway and, you know, went home to their house in the country and he just popped out of the bed of their pickup truck when they got home. So they called the number on his collar and we went to get him. But my mom was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is enough. He is not meant to live in this, in the city with a yard. (laughs) And so he got moved to a friend's home who had a lot of space. And so then after the Husky mix, Wiley, then we had a dog that we adopted And they've all been big. All the dogs, the adopted rescue dogs I've had have been really a pretty big size, which is, I think, why I'm so drawn to big dogs now. But um, we had Chester, who was like my mom's soulmate level dog after Spike. And so Chester came to us. He was already full grown, probably like four, around four years old. And he had a bum leg. We think maybe he'd gotten hit by a car or something and it had just healed kind of wrong. But the the vet said it wasn't causing him any pain. It didn't seem like it was. He would still run and jump and play. So we had him until he passed away. And so for probably 11 years, I believe we had him. And I would take him for walks every day. That's always been a really kind of good way for me to clear my head, I think, and have some quiet time is to take a long walk, like around a track or something where I don't have to pay attention to traffic or where I'm going Mm -hmm. um, with my dog. And so that's what we would do every day. So I think that was also really helpful to my parents without me even knowing it because he got lots of exercise with me. (laughs) And then, um, but yeah, he was a great dog. And occasionally people would you know, jogging past me on the track or something would be like, your dog has a limp, like on his back legs and be like, oh, I know that's, that, yeah, that's normal for him. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> well, I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so now I have Jasper. Jasper is a 120 pound rescue mix from um, also from Mississippi. I got him in around 10 months old. I think he'd been picked up as a stray. He was already about 80 pounds, but he was really underweight. He's just really tall and he's got big bones. And so I adopted him uh, right after I moved back to the States in 2011. And so he'll be 12. Yeah, he'll be 12 this Thanksgiving. 
and he's still kicking. He's got some joint issues like most big dogs do as they get older with arthritis and stuff, but he's still doing well. He's still happy. And I had a toddler or we have a toddler. I had a baby a couple of years ago. He was fine with it at first. And then when the crawling and the toddling started, he wasn't a huge fan now that she's a little older and he knows that she knows how to feed him, he's totally fine with it. He's on mm. board. So he has, um, he, he gets, he definitely gets extra food, either what she tosses <laughs> down to him or what there's just hysterical videos of her with eating like that pirate's booty, like puffed cheesy stuff and she'll take a bite and then she'll give him a bite and she'll take a bite and then she'll <laughs> give him a bite. So Wow. Yeah. So that has definitely gone a long way to fostering some goodwill between him and the baby. Ah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing your stories on your rescues because they all have their different personalities and it's they do. always good to know or to let people know that, you know, they're not broken. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> well, let's fast forward and talk about your background as a United Nations photographer and how that evolved into canine photography. What was what was your inspiration there? I would never have guessed to connect the two. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that anybody else would. So <laughs> yeah, I just have a, a variety of interests and, and I like doing different things. So I got into photography as a younger kid. I went to a high school that had a really great arts program. So I had a really awesome big dark room and, and good classes there. And then in college, my undergraduate degree, I uh, was in broadcast journalism. So there were some photography classes that I took for that degree. And then my master's is in mass communication. So there was element to that as well. And I just really love, have always loved telling a story with still photography as well as with film. And so I ended up wanting to mostly work as a photographer. I started off in Burundi doing research for my master's degree thesis project. So that's how I ended up. I knew I had always wanted to go to Africa and always wanted to live in Africa. I was just kind of trying to figure out how I was going to get myself there and be able to support myself while I was there. So that's how that kind of um, evolved. And then from there, you know, I made some connections and applied for some jobs and eventually was hired after I finished my research and my master's degree. I was hired for the United Nations peacekeeping mission in Chad. And so I went there and was in the public information office, but they actually, it was a new mission and they didn't have a photographer. And so I was the only person with a lot of photography experience, public information office. So I just sort of became the mission photographer, which was fun and awesome because I also got to do interviews and other things like that, accompanying that position. And after about a year and a half in Chad, I moved to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And there actually, um, my job was not strictly photography at all. Um, I was a communication and advocacy consultant. Well, I actually ended up doing a lot there that wasn't necessarily photography related. But after I was finished with that job, I, that was another about year and a half, I was ready to come back to the US and be a little closer to home. So I headed back. I kind of like vegetated at my mom's house in Mississippi for a little while because I was just kind of 
tired after living that lifestyle for so long. Um, It's just a lot of travel. and, And I was picking places that, you know, were pretty remote. And so it was a long time to get there. And then from there, it was even more time to get to where you needed to be the smaller towns and villages in the countries that were, you know, hard to travel to. And so when I got home, I stayed there for about six months. And then I decided to move to New Orleans to do some research for a story that I had heard that was also unrelated to photography. But while I was here, I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and open up a photography studio because I kind of knew that's what I was going to do when I moved back to the US. And it just made sense that I would focus on children and pets and animals because those have always been my favorite subjects. Even when I'm doing photography in Burundi or in Chad or in Congo, I'm just always very much drawn to the children in whatever area I'm in. And so so it just made sense that that would be what I would focus on here. And uh, while I was here, that just sort of took off. I think coming in, there wasn't a lot of competition for me. So it was easy to open up a business here. I think a lot of people had that were doing that had kind of left after Katrina and some didn't come back. Okay. And so now there are, um, I was actually... I was in Mississippi. We had a lot of um, damage to our home in our town during Katrina. I was there. It was right before I left. Um, So I was doing my master's. And so I was there when it hit. And um, so now there is, I mean, there are so many family photographers here. But when I came in, I had a really specific business model that I've kept this whole time. And it's different than what most people do. And then combine that with the fact that when I did come in, I was one of very few. And that combines to my benefit and and made it possible to have a really profitable studio here. So I had been taking pictures of families, babies, children, and then people with their fur babies and their pets. I'm always happy for clients to bring their pet with them to a family session. I think that's awesome. And um, I had just finished this great session with somebody's dog. And I usually will put together, you know, a coffee table book, but a custom designed one of them and their dog. And so as we were looking at that, my sister, who is also my photography studio manager, was like, you know, you should do just a book of dogs, like just a book of mutts. And that's how the idea for mutts came about. And it was really kind of, she mentioned it kind of offhand. I thought about it. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then it just happened. I <laughs> I called mm-hmm. a friend who I knew had published a book. She put me in touch with her publisher. I met with that publisher. She was excited about the idea and, and we got to rock. And I will say it was a lot more work than I had anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. And it's awesome that you you took off there. You were just at the right place at the right time, right? I think so. I mean, I, I honestly think that that had a lot to do with it. I mean, I know a lot of it is is my particular business style is also really different. My business model is really different than uh, what most people are doing nowadays. But I definitely think it was it was really beneficial for me to come in when I did. And I'm so happy to have made New Orleans my home. I can't imagine living anywhere else in the US actually. Amazing. That's awesome. You have that clarity. (laughs) Well, we're just going to have a quick break. And then when we get back, we will continue talking with United Nations photographer, Olivia Pritchard. 
Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with United Nations photographer Olivia Pritchard about her work and her mission with an upcoming book release to call attention to the rescue dogs that are needing homes. So with all your experience, Olivia, before we talk about your new book, Mats, let's talk about adopting a shelter dog based on the adopter's lifestyle. And I think quite often someone adopts with the physical appearance of the dog first in mind rather than temperament. Mm -hmm. So you obviously have firsthand experience, but what can you say about that? Well, so I think it's kind of, you know, people call it like the movie effect. So, you know, anytime there's a movie like Lassie inspired a lot of people to get border collies, there's some like new movie out with Channing Tatum on a road trip with a Belgian Malinois that I haven't watched because. Oh my gosh. People are going to Malinois. And there are just, I mean, they're insanely amazing, brilliant, Mm -hmm. capable dogs, but they are not an everyday pet. They are a pet that takes so much dedication and attention from the owner and they need a job to do. And I think that people just, for me, we've gotten really lucky in that the big dogs that we've had, I adopted Jasper for his looks. I mean, he was a really cute giant dog, but also he was on the euthanasia list. I wasn't even planning to get a dog. I went to the shelter with my sister for her to get a dog and I saw him and liked him a lot. And then I saw him on the euthanasia list in the office. And so I took him. That has worked out really, really beautifully and really well because he's a good dog for my lifestyle. He's happy and chill to when he was younger, we'd go to the dog park all the time. He'd chase a ball for hours. Now he's older. We take short walks around the block and do tra- more training stuff inside because um, it's really hot down here and it's hard for him to cool off in his kind of older age. So for me, that has always worked out. Luckily for <laughs> a lot of people, I feel like they do. They take a dog because they're cute without paying attention to what the temperament is going to be for them and their lifestyle. So if they don't have time to walk the dog for 30 minutes every morning and the dog is really high energy and needs that, do they have the budget to pay somebody to come do that? Right. Getting a really big dog is really expensive. So I, I recently saw there's a rescue that I follow. It's a national rescue for really, really large breed dogs. And they had a dog that was up for adoption. And I think that the fee was like $400 or something. 
um, maybe, maybe even less than that. And somebody commented and said, well, I would adopt him, but that's too much money that they're just too expensive. And he, you know, he's a, he's a purebred, I think Pyrenees that somebody had given up and a bunch of people chimed in and the rescue chimed in and made the very good point that, you know, if you think that $400 is expensive for you to adopt a dog, then this is not the dog yeah. for you because you're going to spend at least that a month on food and um, heartworm and flea prevention and regular checks at the vet. Jasper's 120 pounds. So every kind of medicine that he has costs so much more than it would if he, if he were 15 pounds, you know? So, and, and then he eats so much more. So that's something to keep in mind too. Like what's your budget going to be? What can you realistically afford? Um, yes. And then, you know, where do you live? Like if you live in an apartment building where you can't just open the door and the dog goes outside to the bathroom, you need a dog that's pretty chill. You need a dog that, you know, doesn't need to tear around the yard. So all of these things are definitely something to keep in mind when you're looking for a dog to adopt. And I would say one of the best things you can do is ask the people at the rescue or the shelter because they'll know the dog's personalities as much as they can in a shelter setting, in a shelter environment. But especially if the dogs are being fostered, their foster family will know sure. their yes. personality. Right. And, and that's who's going to know. That's who's going to you know, want that dog to go into a home where it will be successful and happy as the family pet. And so there's so many factors to consider, but looks is really far down on the list. Yes. <laughs> we just got to emphasize that. Doesn't matter how cute they are. What's their personality? Right. So let's come full circle with the upcoming release of your new book, Mutts. How did that come to be the finished piece it is now? I know you mentioned a little bit before the break. Tell us about that. Any blooper moments, any special dogs that come to mind when you did that book? Yeah, for sure. So initially I was thinking I wanted it to be a pretty thick, good coffee table book. So I was thinking, you know, each dog is going to be a spread. I'm going to want, you know, to probably photograph at least like 80 dogs. And then I wanted it to be a little bigger. (laughs) So then it became like a hundred dogs. And then my studio manager who loves them as much as I do. And then my assistant who is a vet tech and also loves dogs ended up being like, Oh, I saw this dog at the park and I gave him this info. And I'm like, okay, we have to cut it off ladies. Like (laughs) there has to be an end date. Like it's due to the designer. (laughs) It, It has to go. But we did manage to squeeze in a couple of last minutes because it's also really hard. I'd be like, oh, I don't have a dog that looks like that yet in the book. I should take a picture of it. And so there's a lot of coordination with with foster families, but most of them were dogs that had been adopted, you know, already and their families were bringing them in. And so I just ended up first, I sent out just a form for people to like submit a recent picture, tell me the dog's age and weight where they, and where they came from and what their best guess of breed mix was for it. And then I had, I slowly started getting them trickling in. Mostly it was me seeing like a dog at the park when I was out for a run or something and saying, Hey, what breed is your dog? You want to be in a book? <laughs> and so, so that was really good. And then the word started spreading and then I started getting them coming in and in and in. And um, finally had to pull that down because I, I had the book filled. 
So it was a lot of shooting. I allotted an hour for each dog because some dogs were done in 10 minutes. I only needed one great picture of each one. And then some dogs took 45 minutes just to get calm <laughs> in the new place. Uh-huh. And, and so we needed to have the full hour for them. And so I had an assistant for each one who I worked with so that she'd know how to say where I wanted them to sit or what I wanted them to do. And um, lots of treats involved, lots of noises. A lot of time we would have to send the parent like a different room in the studio because they're like toddlers and they will behave better when their parents aren't sitting there. And so, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of just fun stories and, and fun long days with dogs. There was one in particular that just really stood out. And if she hadn't already been adopted, I think I would have gone home with her that day. And that was Butters. She was a pit bull greyhound mix. So her body was really small and she was severely underweight. She was found wandering around on the side of a highway and a good Samaritan brought her into a vet clinic and the vet clinic took her and one of their vet techs ended up adopting her and brought her in. But she was so just soulful. I She's a really unique photograph in the book. It's a very close up picture of her because her eyes were just piercing and she was just so calm and sweet. And I just really, really fell in love with her. And of all the amazing, adorable, hilarious, funny, and joyful dogs that we photographed, she was the one that sticks in my brain the most. Oh, I'll have to take a look at her picture. I'll yeah, to... she's so sweet. That's amazing. Well, congratulations on your work. And this should be set out for release in a couple months from now. No, not even. Just shy of a month and a half. Great. And they can see it on Amazon. We will put all the links in the show page notes. Great. Yeah, awesome. Well, we are out of time. I really, really appreciate you coming on today. And thanks to our show producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. You can view Olivia's work at oliviapritchard.com, which will also be on the show page. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.